Welcome to How College Works. Hello, Melody. Hi, Peter. So, Drew has a job <laughs> and, you know, a life and couldn't make it today. So we thought we would talk about something that uh, we know about, which is structure of a college. At least some of it, anyway. What do you mean by structure of a college, <laughs> Peter? Well... There are, at least when you're on the faculty, there are three different areas of the college that we talk about. That's fact, staff, and students. So that's the faculty, the staff, and the students. Students, I'm going to assume our listeners are know or will very soon know sort of what that is. You pay tuition, you attend college, you take classes, <clears throat> you run student organizations and all that good stuff. The faculty and the staff are two different populations from the administrative side of things. And in fact, from a faculty's perspective, the, admi the administrative side of things is staff, where the mm -hmm. faculty are in charge of teaching the classes and research and what we would normally think of as administrative, sort of uh, running the business office, uh, any, any of the administrative secretarial staff, Financial aid. Financial aid, <laughs> often the registrar, um, and that sort of thing. Those, I don't have anything to do with them. <laughs> well, I do. I have contact with them, but I don't run them. And at some level, the sort of intricacies of what a registrar does and how are things that I don't know. I mean, I do know what a registrar does, but I don't know how they do what they do because that's not you know, part of my training. And so the administrative staff are what you would think of as sort of the behind-the-scenes things that make a college run. And I'm going to lump a whole bunch of people together into the admin side. So physical plant. These are the, the men and women who are mowing and watering the grass, fixing anything that needs to be fixed, like plumbing or electrical or structural. Then I have to say that the term physical plant was really confusing to me as a college student because I was like, why is it called the physical plant? Why isn't it just like maintenance? I don't know. Okay. Well. Well, they don't do. They don't necessarily just do maintenance. Is yeah, one I know, thing. but. I mean, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you. I don't have an answer to that. On the financial side of things, like the financial aid counselors, if you have those, the uh, the business office who handles all of the money that comes through. So they're the ones who are doing writing paychecks every two weeks, month, whatever it is. They're the ones who are taking in money from tuition and processing things through. There's even uh, groups that students will probably never have dealings with, like institutional advancement. So this is a group uh, department that deal with donors to the college or university, people who make bequests. Is that the... I think so. The noun of bequeath? I think so. <laughs> so those that large money donations that come in, Anybody who's donating enough money to set up a scholarship or what's called an endowed chair where somebody within the faculty gets paid a little extra money for, or sometimes a lot of extra money, for being really good at what they're doing in some respect, and that's called an endowed chair. All that money comes in through institutional advancement, and that money is then funneled into the right accounts in the right ways and kept track of in that way, and without institutional advancement in the business office, the whole thing just shuts down. Like, I don't get paid, students' tuition doesn't get collected, like, it all just falls apart. So, staff 
Super important. <laughs> Super important, and you really, really want staff to be on your side. Oh yeah. So while while picking a fight with your professor is going to be a bad scene. It's not a good, a. It's not a good look. <laughs> B. The professor will almost always win unless there's some really bad stuff going down. Your life can be really difficult or really easy depending on how who you have made allies with in terms of the administration. As a graduate student, so it's a little different, but I quickly realized that if the administrative support were on my side, if I was sort of chummy with them and stopped by and chatted with them and was nice, then they would go out of their way to make my life nice when they did things. So one of the secretaries where I did my grad work, she was in charge of graduate uh, student TA assignments. And that's less of a thing for physicists than it is for English and humanities <laughs> majors. But the research group that I worked in, our money was tight. We didn't have a lot of money, not enough money for all the graduate students who were there. So I TA'd the last year or two that I was in grad school. And it was really nice that I was on good terms with that individual so I could come and say, hey, how are the assignments shaping up? Because I just want to know where I'm at. She's like, oh, well, these are available. What do you want? Mm. So I would have a chance to pick the courses that I wanted to TA, which otherwise you don't. And, you know, similar things of that ilk can happen if you are an undergraduate and there are things that you're going to need to do or you are in a service position or running a student organization that if you've managed to offend or pick a fight with somebody who's controlling the purse strings or even somebody who's not right or somebody who's just at some level involved with the things you need to do making enemies of them means that for the entire time you're there as say in charge of your organization life's going to be hard because they don't want to help you because you've made a very bad impression on them like secretaries for example or administrative assistants like in a department like where i worked before she was the direct connection to the chair of the department. And if you came in there and started demanding things, I mean, certainly students did not fare well because she could definitely, you know, handle you. But that you, you then made a bad impression. And if you needed a favor from her, you could pretty much not count on that to happen because she would hold a grudge and not in a bad way. You treated her like a second-class citizen. Mm-hmm. And so just because... You know, like, oh, you're just a secretary, or oh, you're just this. Those people have a lot more power. Not, I mean, in some ways, they right. access to power for sure, but they do a lot more than you think they do. And yeah. just having respect for that is really important, at least. Super that's important. a lesson that I learned in the same way that you did in terms of if you treat people with respect and you're nice to them, then they tend to give that back to you. The thing is that you never really know who it is you're going to need That's to true. deal with. You know, certainly if you know what your major is, then you better be very respectful and kind and thoughtful when dealing with any of the administrative staff within that department because you're going to be spending four years there and there's going to come a time when you're going to need to talk with someone or you're going to need something to happen quickly, like letters of rec didn't get mailed out and you really need to get a hold of some professor who's not mailed a letter of recommendation out and they're going to be like your your way to get into that. Maybe your friend or not. Right. And if you've burned that bridge, like, good luck. That's yeah. just not going to come in on time. So not to, not to like, you know, Peter was saying we're lumping all of the staff together, but not in a way to diminish their import because they, like you said, keep the place going, but they also are a way to other things in many, many ways. So Usually you have 
or often I should say, there is a single person or a small group of people who are assigned to a building in terms of maintenance or the cleaning staff. Mm -hmm. If you disrespect them and if you're leaving messes out, good luck trying to get something fixed when you really need something fixed. If you just made a mess of things consistently, Mm -hmm. they're just, nope, they're not going to go out of their way. Whereas if your area or your building has been kept respectfully clean, then if you're like, oh, this thing broke and I have no idea how to do it, then they're like, oh, let me help you out. Hey, let me show you where this really cool stuff is that's going to help you. And you get a lot more mileage out of that. So not only is this how college works, it's how to be a decent person. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So secret number one, how college works is how life works. Respect everyone around you. Be (laughs) cool. So that's two We actually know the most about the faculty side of things, which is, I am sure, as much of a microcosm of real life as the staff side of things. So in in the faculty, there are sort of multiple levels of faculty which run basically all the way up the chain and eventually leave faculty and move back into administration. Mel, do you want to clue us into maybe some levels of faculty-ness? Yeah, so, I mean, and I hate to put it in a hierarchical way, but that's kind of how it works. I don't want to say the bottom, but, you know, those with the least amount of power tend to be adjuncts, which are um, contingent laborers. <laughs> I would say this, this the adjunct is, well, Yeah. I was going to say look, they're like the substitute teacher. Kind that's of. That's the ideal, but many yeah. places they're not, sub- they're pretty much permanent. Sometimes that's true. Um, so, like for example, the English department, we have had an adjunct uh, pretty much for the last five or six years. We've needed at least one person to take one to two sections of English 101 or 102. But whenever we need another class, as we did this semester, we took one of her sections and gave it to a full time faculty member so that they could meet their requirements for teaching. So adjuncts are kind of um, the the last ones to get their teaching assignments and the first ones to have it taken away if they need it. Mm-hmm. Somebody mean? else needs it. Yeah. Why don't we talk about tenure track faculty, which is how most academics refer to faculty, and, and maybe we can draw back to okay. adjuncts and lecturers. Oh, so you want to start in the middle? <laughs> Yeah, let's start at the middle. <laughs> okay, so the two basic categories are tenure track and tenured faculty, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm currently on the non-tenured side. And so most non-tenured faculty uh, fresh out of graduate school are hired as assistant professors. And so that's my current title, assistant professor of English, but I'm on a tenured track, which means I'm slated to earn tenure if I continue on this path in a certain way, which is usually, what, five to six years? I think five to seven, depending on institution. But again, it varies based on institution and how long it goes. There's this five to seven year period where we as also referred to as junior faculty members, so untenured faculty members, we have this sort of trying out period with the college or university where we need to prove that we are of a caliber that the... We're okay. We're okay. We're of a caliber that the college wants to keep us, at which point we will put together a tenure application, tenure packet, and then if that is accepted, then the college grants us tenure, and then we become... 
um, tenured faculty. Basically. <laughs> uh, but you can apply for an associate professorship, which is, not, which is not always directly connected to tenure, but oftentimes people apply for the promotion and tenure at the same time. Yeah, so there, there are often three different designations, assistant, associate, and full professor. Which is the shiz. It is the shiz. <laughs> um, how those fall out depends, again, on the institution. I, I've been at institutions where untenured is assistant, tenured is associate, mm. and then you have the option or not to apply for full tenure, and then you become full professor. Okay. So their promotion is promoted within the tenure. Oh, well, category. just to let you know, that's not the case here. Right. Here, here <laughs> we do it a little bit differently. But as you, as you go from assistant to associate to full professor, this is basically moving up in job security. Yes, and hopefully salary. Yes. Are we still little? Yes, ideally there is a there are bumps from assistant to associate and associate to full. So I think you get um, bumps in salary for promotion, but not necessarily for tenure. For here, that's true. Yes, okay. yes. In other places, being awarded tenure gives you a bump, and being awarded full tenure gives you another bump. But how much those are again hmm. depends on institutions. So um, between being granted like your associate level professorship, what do you know the general time frame in terms of when you typically apply for full professorship? That's, I mean, I think that really depends on, on the, on the okay. schools. So at the, on the places I was at before, the amount of work that went into your full tenure application was basically equal to the amount of work that went into your tenure application. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of work and the pay bump wasn't that much. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really required. It also depends on kind of the culture of the institution. And so the majority of the faculty were associate. There were a handful of full professors. They tended to be older because they just had more time to sort of amass enough stuff. Documents. Documents. And so it was just not a big deal. And I knew people who got tenure. I was like, you can go for full. I was like, no. That was hard. I'm not doing that again. Huh. Well, I guess I'll decide when I get there. Sure. But. Assuming. Yeah. So when we talk about the faculty, the assistant associate in full, those really make up the, the majority of the faculty as we often think of them. And these are academics, professors that the college wants to keep around for as long as they can, usually. So they are committed, the college or university is committed to keeping these, these faculty around. So I know we're going to have a discussion about tenure at another time, but just briefly, what the heck does that mean? Uh, it does, it's not 10 years, right? No, no. <laughs> spell, spell differently. It's, it's kind of a guarantee. So the, as I remember having it described to me, you don't want your faculty who are doing other teaching work but their research work to be influenced by whoever happens to be chair at the moment or a dean because they're going to be there for longer. Mm. And so you want to make sure that these faculty are doing excellent work and then once they have proven that you want them to be able to just do their job in that respect without worry about the political pressure from within the college or university. And so tenure is basically that guarantee that once you've proven yourself to be an asset to the institution, you can pursue your work without having to worry about whether your work upsets 
yeah. people within the administration. Without people like constantly looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing it right. Or, right. I mean, okay. if you do horrible, reprehensible things, <laughs> yes, you will be fired. But if you're doing things which are just sort of rub people the wrong way or that sort of like you, they can't just fire you because you're researching something that they don't like or the answer you got is one they don't like. Mm. For the record, 10 years what we're going for. It's like our goal. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that, we just, yeah. I guess that's like kind of, um, I don't want to say like it's the pinnacle of our like career, but it's definitely one of those big goals. So getting the PhD, yes, that's important. Yep. But then the next big hurdle would be? Tenure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just it, to it, explain that. To really shorthand, it represents... <clears throat> Um, whether it's true or not anymore, guaranteed job security. Yeah. So, like, in terms of, um, well, you know, economics is kind of, you know, hard economic times, blah, 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 but tenured faculty would be the last to go. Absolutely, yes, except in the University of Wisconsin system. (laughs) That's another discussion. Yeah, we'll leave that that alone for now. Um, Okay, so we have faculty, and we had tenured and non-tenured, and then... We have assistant, associate, and full. Mm-hmm. Um, so that takes care of most of the people who are doing the teaching. Ideally, anyway, yes. On campus. Yeah. On campus. And so the difference between the faculty and adjuncts, lecturers, and instructors is that those are they are not tenure-track. There's mm-hmm. not a commitment between the college or university with those instructors. Mm-hmm. And it's t- typically, typically the contracts are either year-by-year year or semester-to-semester semester sometimes, right? Right, and often... The, in the same way that, you know, in the same way. There's often a similar thing happening with businesses that hire part-time workers. So instead of hiring, if they need 20 full-time workers, they'll hire 40 part-time workers Mm -hmm. because it means they don't need to provide benefits. The similar sort of thing often happens with adjuncts and lecturers and instructors is that they are not employed at a full time, at a full time mm-hmm. or a two-thirds or whatever it is that triggers the institution having to provide benefits. They're often employed at a lower amount. So you can have people who are adjunct professors, adjunct instructors or what have you at multiple institutions making up more than a full time's worth of work but mm-hmm. don't have <laughs> health care provided through their institution. the salary. Yeah, yeah that's also true. <laughs> is that uh, they don't get paid as much for their work, at least their teaching work. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you, someone who taught my load as an adjunct would not be paid as much as I'm paid. <laughs> no. <laughs> Part, I mean, I think the, the reasoning is that they don't have the research slash professional development yeah. or the service Well, they can just walk on campus, teach their classes and walk off. I know that it still you know, entails grading and planning and all that stuff, but they don't have committee work or advising. Right. Things like that. If, asking, if, you want to, if you want people to be the faculty sponsor for your student group, that has to be actual faculty. Yeah. An adjunct won't really work for that because there's no guarantee they'll be here the next semester. You can sometimes do instructors. I was a full-time instructor at another institution, um, so I taught like a 4-4 load, mm-hmm. meaning four classes each semester, um, but I was considered a permanent, Right. and I also was part of the faculty, and then I went to faculty meetings and those kinds of things, so I was allowed to be um, 
a student group sponsor or whatever. Right. But that was kind of a special case. I was the only one in the whole department. <laughs> you're, just, you're just so desirable. That's right. Well, I would teach international students, so the skill set. <laughs> it is, it is a, skill, a useful one to have. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so after faculty, then what? I mean, because I'm assuming <laughs> you said there was like staff, faculty, admin, so. Right, and, and so, I mean, admin, I, it depends on how you, you categorize them. I would, I would tend to categorize them actually in the staff side. Okay. There, there is, I've worked actually on the admin side as a, as a, I think you would call it a teaching postdoc. I was a postdoc, but I was not a research postdoc. Mm-hmm. I did curriculum development and assessment. And so that arrangement was very much on the admin side. I accrued vacation days. Okay. And, and, and that sort of, and pay scale. So it was very much in the same way that a, often from the administrative side of things, you accrue vacation days, which you can take and sick days and stuff like this to a maximum amount of whatever and yada, yada, yada. They're like, there's a complex system by which this happens. I guess I was thinking that staff um, are kind of hired as staff, right? Mm -hmm. And then faculty are hired as faculty and they have the option to move up sometimes to administrative work. So I was thinking that so once you step into the admin side, you step out of faculty and into more of a staff position. I mean, it's, we call it administrative and we think of it in that way because often the people who fill these roles have come up through faculty ranks and then have moved up into the higher administrative ranks. But they tend to have PhDs, terminal degrees in their field and have served as faculty members for a number of years before they move into these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but often if these are truly administrative roles, so I'm going to throw out a couple of names here, uh, like a provost. Uh-huh. The provost, if I remember correctly, is the um, person in charge of the faculty. Okay. So the faculty sort of funnels up to them. So if things start running up the chain and they keep going higher and higher, they'll eventually reach the provost if it's a problem about a faculty member. At the same point in the organization chart, but with a different name, is the vice president of academic affairs. Which is so you have one or the other, though, I th- you have usually. One, I think usually one or the other. Um, that person who's in that role often has come from the faculty up into that position. Mm-hmm. So in our case, we have a vice president of academic affairs who also acts as the dean of faculty. Are those sometimes separated? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Just to complicate things. Right. So let's, we're going to do our progressively... Uh, narrowed organization chart, faculty as a whole sit within departments. Often at a big enough uh, group of faculty within a subject, you'll have a department chair. This person gets paid usually a little bit more, not as much as they really probably should be. Sometimes they get a course release. (laughs) Or, Or, you know. Depending on how big the department is. Right. Uh, Well, sometimes they get if it's a big enough department, they don't teach. Right. It's not just a course release. They are relieved of all teaching duties because they need to manage the department as a whole. And that can be a real full-time job when the department is big enough. And so within a department, you will be proving to your peers within the department that you are worthy to stay at the, at the school. And that will sort of come up to the department chair. 
that's the person ultimately who has to hear enough good things about you because they're usually the person who recommends you for tenure to the next person up, which would be the dean. And again, depending on the size of the school, your deans oversee large sort of... We call them colleges at another school. Right. Colleges, yeah, often colleges or sort of areas. Like arts and science or technology and engineering or... Exactly. Agriculture. (laughs) Or... Here, we ha- we're sort of small enough that we have deans of <clears throat> what we call the different divisions. So we have divisional, or we call them chairs, but they're basically divisional deans. So all of science and math funnels up to one person who is the divisional chair or the divisional dean. All of social science and humanities and fine arts. So there's four people that sort of sit at the top of their subfields and make sure that what their uh, divisions need is going to be provided for by the administration and make sure that what the administration needs of those divisions they're going to supply or produce. So faculty, chair, dean, and then usually you're up to the vice president of academic affairs or your provost. Mm-hmm. Now you could have a large number of deans depending on, on the size of your school. You might have lots Right. Deans. Like we even had a dean of the library at another institution. Right. If you have a lot of library Oops. yeah, <laughs> and library staff and mm-hmm. library needs, then you will probably end up having a dean of libraries. After the vice presidents comes the president of the college or university. So there will be multiple vice presidents, vice president of academic affairs, vice president of institutional advancement, vice president of... So they might have different titles, but basically the people who sit right below the president, Mm -hmm. people who report to the president about what's going on, what's needed. So academics, where faculty and the chair slash deans and all that reside is only one leg... (laughs) Yeah. Of several legs of vice presidents before it gets to the president. Absolutely, yes. Okay. I was imagining some sort of weird leggy creature, but... That's... I think that makes sense. So <laughs> and there's probably many more of those vice presidents than you realize. Probably. Because every, everything... Every aspect of the college probably ends up having somebody who comes up to the vice president level to have to oversee this and make sure everything's running in order because the president can't do that. They can't micromanage. So the president... And I'll be all? <laughs> or is there something else? Sort of. <laughs> yeah, at this point you reach the board of trustees. And I don't know if I want to say that the board sits above the president, because yeah. that makes it sound like the board has... Ultimate power. Pa- ultimate power. That's not really true. In some senses, yes. Often a tenure application will be sort of promoted, say, by my chair to my dean, who will then say yay or nay and pass it up to my Vice President of Academic Affairs, my VPAA, who will then say yay or nay and then pass it up to the President, who will then say yay or nay and then pass it up to the Board, who will say yay or nay. Yeah, but at that point, if all those other people have said yay... Then the Board (laughs) rarely diverges from the President's recommendation, and the President will rarely diverge from the VPAA's recommendation, and generally speaking, the VPA will rarely diverge from the Dean. So you got to get that first hurdle. You gotta get that first hurdle, and you gotta make sure that you have not made an enemy of somebody who's higher up your food chain. Mm-hmm. Or their secretary. Or their secretary. <laughs> exactly, yes. 
So the board is more like, um, I mean, I know they make some bigger decisions when it comes to money, and oftentimes, like, the president and vice presidents will propose certain budgetary additions or changes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But largely, would you say that their role is almost advisory in some ways? Yeah, I mean, so my impression, and often the president will tend to shield the board from the faculty and vice versa. There's not a lot that the faculty need to be getting in the business of the board, and the board should not be getting in the business of the faculty. So the, the board does not tell faculty how to teach or even what to teach. Mm-hmm. The board is meant to be much broader in scope, to keep an eye on the college, to check sort of where they're headed financially, where they're headed sort of accreditation-wise, to identify rough patches, and solutions to that, to bring in money for institutional advancement if that's what's needed, to bring in expertise on other things. If the, if the college is going to open up like a new school, so a school of nursing or a school of engineering. Which is going to cost some big bucks. That's big bucks. That's big money to open up a new school like that. Then the board are some of the people that get tapped Uh to sort of provide feedback on that or to have them try to tap other people to bring expertise in. If everything's running sort of really well, my impression, because I'm not a college president, is that you want... Or a board member. (laughs) Or a board member, right, is is to be grooming the board. One of the president's job is to kind of groom the board, both in terms of preparing them for what's going to be coming and for making sure the board understands the philosophy and mission and culture of the college university but also if they know what's coming down the line like you you've just finished a building project and you need to sort of build back up the um, endowment then you want to be sort of asking people to come in who are going to be good at finding donors and managing that money and that sort of thing so you're going to want to make sure you have board members who can speak to that if you're bringing in a new program then if you can, you want to have board members who can speak to that. Mm-hmm. And so they're giving this more advisory steering role to make sure that the college doesn't get so narrowly focused on one thing that everything else or We don't falls make apart. a huge financial blunder. Well, and you if know. we do, I guess the board and the president will equally share responsibility. Right, yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind easier of Easier than letting one person, like, make those big decisions. Right. I think that's probably... It gives you oversight and expertise mm-hmm. that you can't hold in one person. So you're mentioning that the administrative side, which is also technically staff, <laughs> is often fed up from the faculty side. But where do the board members come from? Because they're not faculty. No, they're, they can come from anywhere, as far as I know. Often you want, I think, successful business people, mm-hmm. men and women, uh, because they provide connections and influence and, and expertise that you need at that upper level. At the level that the president is operating at, the college is much more of a institution mm-hmm. than it is a educational sort of classroom experience. Right. So, so like it's you, almost businessy. It's very businessy. It's yeah. very much a business. If you're in a, they're going to probably talk much more about brand mm-hmm. in terms of marketing and making sure the school has a distinct voice, mm-hmm. and so that's that's something which you're not going, which I'm not going to deal with. Generally speaking, as a faculty member, I'm not going to be talking about well, what should my college's brand be and that sort of thing. Yeah, I just want them to tell me what the brand is, and I'll just you know do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 
yeah, at those high levels, it's much more of a, of a business and you need people who have that business understanding in order to help steer the college because the last thing you, you want is to only have a president who has a PhD in, say, physics up there running your college, but I don't know anything about marketing and I don't know anything about running a business that has that's going to bring in and spend multiple millions of dollars a year at the helm having to make decisions by myself. So you talked about bringing in board members, but don't board members have kind of long terms of service or something <laughs> like that? Yeah, they, um, I think they're like years, a few, yeah, a few like, years. I don't know, I thought I heard seven seems awfully long. I might be wrong. Maybe it's just like, five. But I, I, I swear it's five or seven for our board of trustees. That may be true. I mean, the term <laughs> is set by, I mean, the board sets the term of the boards of yeah. member service. So every board determines how long board members should serve. I mean, they can change that. They can do their bylaws. Or well, I would assume that they would want, you know, longer than just a few years. One, I know that they need fresh ideas, so that needs to be rotating out so mm-hmm. that somebody new probably comes in like every other year or something. But they want someone who has some sort of longevity in terms of understanding in a little bit of institutional history, but also understanding a larger like goal or focus because if you were changing that every year, I'm guessing things wouldn't get done. Right. And usually there is a chairman or chairwoman of the board of trustees chairperson chairperson um (laughs) and so there's there's usually they serve for a few years but before they leave there's somebody who's their replacement has already been selected there's like a full year transition yeah where that person is leaving and the next person is coming in and so they are they have a apprenticing they have a year to hand off everything that's happening so the transition is smooth Mm -hmm. okay so I feel like we might have covered everything. <laughs> well, one thing we might want to talk about, at least briefly, is what does this mean for students? Ooh, oh yeah, those guys or ladies. <laughs> well, one, I think understanding like the overall structure kind of helps you make sense of all these people who are constantly in your lives and like what they're doing and why they're important. I mean, that's kind of the, the takeaway I was taking from it. If you understand how the whole system works, you can probably operate better within it. I think so. And if you go to office hours and you pay attention to the name plaque and your instructor says, Melody Denny, lecturer. One thing to take away from that is Melody Denny, in this case, is going to have zero pull within the department. That's true. And so if there's something within the department, this is not somebody who can really do anything for you, at least not unless they are in a, a special situation. Like and if blackmail. You, Just kidding. Feels <laughs> they're blackmailing the chair. Then you better hope that chair has a long <laughs> period to go before they step down and a new department chair comes up. Uh, whereas if you have somebody who's an assistant or associate or a full professor in their name, especially if you look them up on your college's or faculty listing in the, on their website, usually the full title is given at that point. They'll say assistant professor of physics and astronomy for me. Mm-hmm. It lets you know sort of where they're at, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't or can't help you, but it lets you know sort of where they're at. Mm-hmm. An assistant professor is on their way to getting tenure. They may want to do some things to show that they're involved with the college and to show that they're supporting student activities, so they may really want to sponsor a student group or 
organize recycling on campus. Or they may not have the time for it because, yeah, because they're, they're busy doing everything else. <laughs> right. You know, and maybe an associate or a full professor would be in a better situation where they don't have to worry about whether that's going to take time away from their research or their teaching, making it more difficult for them to keep their job. Yeah. You know? And so it doesn't tell you that no, they can't or yes, they will, but it lets you know whether they are basically secure in their position or not. But that being said, <laughs> I, when you said that, it just made me think that not that students aren't wonderful people who always have, you know, positive, wonderful things in their minds and hearts, but I wouldn't want someone to think that just because I have assistant and not associate in front of my name, that that somehow means that if they throw a big enough fit, that I might not get tenure or I might not be promoted or something along those lines. Yeah, I think we'll talk more about this in another uh, in another session, <laughs> but... Don't do that. Don't, yeah, they don't do that. And just to foreshadow a little bit, there's a very different power structure in terms of how we as faculty are evaluated mm -hmm. and how our tenure is awarded than how a high school teacher is evaluated and how their job security or continuing employment is determined. And so in a high school situation, often students have actually a lot of pull. They have a lot of... You're giving too much away. <laughs> Sorry. You have much less when you come to college. It's basically what it boils down well, to. Well, I didn't want them to think that this description of the power structure was some way for them to subvert it. Um, actually, it's better just to think of it as a way to maneuver and know like where everybody is and why. I think that's absolutely the case. Okay. Absolutely. I have heard stories of people who have run into a student who is a professor's kid, a PK, as they refer <laughs> oh. to. I thought those were preacher's kids. Uh, in um, not academia, okay. yes. <laughs> but in here, they're PKs. Okay, in in a PK who knew about tenure and all that stuff because their parent, well, at least one or both of their parents had gone through it and was really trying to lean on a junior faculty member about, I'm going to talk to your chair, you know, and you're never going to get tenure. And At which point, I hope those parents, like, smack that kid's face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even knowing that, like, that's, that's just not the way that works. No. Unless we are breaking the law, there's very little chance that some, a student could go to my chair or my dean and say, Professor Highland did this and needs to be fired, shouldn't get tenure. Like, the likelihood of that happening, unless what I'm doing is, like, super illegal, selling students drugs that right if I was doing that yes I'd be fired like in any yeah. like that I'm gone <laughs> right but if I'm just not teaching the class the way they like that's that's tough sorry bummer dude <laughs> that's a bummer okay well I think you've answered my questions it seems mm -hmm. like this is more about <laughs> making sure I know what's going on with life well someone has to be the audience here. <laughs> Well, like, some of these questions are legitimate questions that I have, too, because it's complicated. It is, and that's one of the things which, even if you listen to this and you're like, okay, now I understand it, it's kind of different at every institution, and there is a very nebulous sort of arrangement among faculty and between faculty and students and faculty administration, and that kind of negotiation happens all the time and is not clean in the way that a business's organization is because it's not top-down and it's not quite bottom-up it's a little of both and so 
that can make things move much more slowly. And when things are working well, it means everyone's on the same page. And when things aren't working, it means everything grinds to a halt. Well, and I mean, we're, I would still consider myself relatively new. Started my third year of a tenure track position. And so some of this stuff I'm still kind of figuring out like how it all works and what goes where and who's under which umbrella, blah blah, blah. And so it can be kind of hard to untangle. Um, but knowing that can make my job a lot easier and also help me help students too. Because I'm like, exactly. oh, here's who you need to talk to. Right. You need to go to... Go talk to this person because they'll give you the insight. Yeah, right. yeah. But other than that, like, it's just kind of nice to know that there is a structure because I know it can seem kind of just, like you said, like a big nebulous something, but we tend to have some sort of rule. You're right. This is not NOM. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to get that. Probably not. Oh, God. <laughs> Read some books. <laughs> <laughs> or watch some movies. I watch some movies. That's so. good. That's good. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll have more to talk about later and next time we chat with you. If you want to get in touch with us and suggest something for us to talk about, you can reach me uh, on Twitter at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. And you can't reach me because I'm antisocial. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, be well. <laughs>